Hey everybody, welcome back to the Mentor Owners Podcast. I'm Jamie, here with my buddy Gabe. Gabe, how you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. Happy New Year. Apologies for the delay. We are back for, I guess, season four of the Mentor Warmers, I think this is. Yeah, I think that's very uh, a hearty, season four. I think so. A hearty muzzle tub to our producer, Michael, who has become a father for the second time. Uh, we were off for a little bit while Mike was on parental leave. Yeah, n- naming his new daughter after, I would say, a top three Israeli prime minister. Yeah, baby Golda. But we, we have some sort of somewhat breaking news on the top. We're recording this on uh, February the 5th. Um, Six hours after Kyrie Irving has been traded to the Dallas Mavericks, which points me to a question I want to kick off this episode with. Jamie, let me get your opinion. Did Kyrie get away with it? Um, yes. I mean, I guess he did. You know, I think the answer is a hard yes. It, it's sort of – so the other day in my fantasy basketball league, somebody spent some some serious uh, free agency uh, like waiver budget on picking up Cam Thomas, who, who is his like backup in Brooklyn. And it reminded me that I also did that like four months ago when Kyrie first had the anti-Semitic incident because like that was the expectation time. I was like, oh, he's going to get all his playing time because Kyrie's going to be out. So we're back full circle. Um, he's been traded to us. And yeah, I guess he got away with it. He got his preferred wish of being traded. Um, you know, he hasn't had an anti-Semitic incident in the last several months, which I guess is a a good thing. I, I don't know. I like my anti-Semitism out in the open where you can see it instead of uh, behind closed doors. But he did it. I, w- I will say that the thing that's shocking to me is that the Dallas Mavericks, of course, for the last 20 odd years have been owned by Mark Cuban, uh, a proud Pittsburgh Jew. And the other day I was talking, I was talking to some people and some friends about Kyrie's trade demand and where he might go. And someone was talking about, you know, uh, the Clippers or Phoenix. And I said, I, I think a Jewish owner would have a lot of pause about trading for Kyrie, uh, you know, for all the obvious reasons that we've talked about before. But there goes Mark Cuban. Uh, doing it anyway. So, you know, making a basketball decision, I guess, as they would say. I think so too. And I think he probably wouldn't have done it if he, if he didn't think Kyrie was going to be more basketball than, than like distraction. Yeah. I mean, I would Um, assume that, that somebody in the next day or so, if they haven't already, will ask Mark Cuban, you know, as a Jew, did you have any second thoughts about trading for Kyrie? And I'm sure his answer will be something like, you know, we felt assured that uh, he's not going to make any similar comments and that he's met with people and been educated or whatever, whatever nonsense they're going to say to explain why, you know, they get a great passer to hook up with Luka Doncic and, and how that's going to, you know, be, be great for their team. No, I, I, yes, I think it's, I mean, there's only one ball to go around. It's going to be interesting to see how somebody, you know, keeps with, with uh, Kyrie, you know, they, they're both, they both need a lot of usage to be the most effective players they can. Right. Um, whether that's, you know, on, uh, you know, Luka Doncic, who is sort of sneaky, uh, I should say so far, the most controversial thing about him is that he like probably smokes cigarettes. Yeah. Um, but he like shows and, up five pounds overweight to training camp and smoke and, and definitely smokes darts. Uh, those are, those are the big Luka. Luka. Um, so it's going to be a bit of a change to, to the sort of squeaky clean image that is, Dallas Mavericks so far. Yeah. Anyways, I guess we'll we'll continue to keep an eye on it and uh, keep an eye on Kyrie's tweets and and continue to report on that <laughs> as it goes. I interestingly, um, I'm curious to know if he's going to spend a lot of t- his time in Dallas researching the JFK assassination. <laughs> like um, like now it's time him. for his his conspiracy uh, minded brain to like uh, you know take its turn through the JFK t- like the JFK yeah, thoughts. Exactly. I feel like anyone who's interested in conspiracy conspiracy theories at some point like. You gotta you gotta have a JFK period. Like you gotta have a, a, a year <laughs> where you're just doing the JFK research because it's like, on the one hand, well, I don't know, I don't, don't want to get into JFK conspiracy have, theories, but like it's the one that has the most meat on the bone. So it's like, it's, have you ever? It's yeah, worth getting into. You ever heard Bill James's theory on the JFK assassination? No, it isn't. It's quite good, actually. Okay, it's that uh, Oswald hit him in the arm. So uh-huh. you know the bullet. If you remember Kevin Costner. You know, it, it coming in with the, the pointer. So the first bullet hits JFK in the arm. At the same time, after hearing it, JFK's Secret Service bodyguard in the right. in the passenger seat okay. turns around, whose gun goes off by accident and shoots Kennedy in the face. Right. Okay. That's so, why so he Oswald, can have two bullets Oswald in opposite high, directions. I, Oswald has a high, you know, weighted assassinations created. Uh, yeah. To put <laughs> 
you know, but, we've but really not actually gone, delivered the really gone off topic here. Yeah, we've really gone off topic here, which is to say we've covered the Kyrie news. Um, we should say at the top, we have a great interview coming up with Dan Rappaport. Uh, Dan is a golf writer. He is currently at uh, Barstool. He's and... he's gone everywhere in the golf world. Sports Illustrated, Golf Digest. Yeah. Uh, and I'm... we talked about, among other things, Max Homa's recent victory at the Farmers Open. Uh, ben Silverman's victory at the Aruba Corn Ferry Tour stop uh, and some other Jewish golf news, is, you know, so, including the uh, the upcoming U.S. Open. I was looking this up and I'm, I'm curious to know, Corn, the Corn Ferry Tour is named after a management consulting company um, Our, that was founded. Jewish? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Is Lester Corn Jewish? Oh, His is name is Lester Corn. It sounds like quite, you know, Lester Corn sounds like a pretty... Uh, uh, Jewish name. Um, you know, Ron Pelosi was one of the executives for a very, very long time um, at, uh, you know, his, the brother of Paul Pelosi, um, you know, very uh, not you know, Italian American, but he was a big guy, um, you know, at, at Corn Ferry for a long time. Um, their current CEO does not seem to be Jewish, a guy named Gary Bernison. Um, but I think if well, Lester Corn is Jewish, it. let's look into it and find out. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he was it. He was back. absolutely Jewish. The first Google that okay, comes up go. about Lester Corn. So Ben um, Silverman winning winning on the the Jewish tour, the Corn Ferry tour, as opposed to a PGA who who is who is not uh, Peter Alfredson. <laughs> um, Whoever PGA was. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So he, you know, he's he's at Forest Lawn in Glendale. Very famous guy. Um, Wait, in, PGA in doesn't LA. stand for Professional Golf Association, does it? I think it does. Professional it does. Golfers Association. Golfers Association. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so, this... so we had a nice chat with Dan about uh, Jews and golf and things going on there. Please stick around to hear that. Uh, but before we get to that, we want to talk about some goings on. Typical Jewish sports news. It uh, it is the Super Bowl week. Yeah, it's it is. the Super it's Bowl the, it's coming the Sunday up. Sunday before the Super Bowl. I suppose the Pro Bowl is today. I did not tune into any of the Pro Bowl festivities. No, but uh, I heard it is flag football does. now, which sounds very summer campy, which can be construed right. to be Jewish. Um, not a lot in the Jewish front in the Super Bowl for this year. Uh, no Jewish players. I think we mentioned before. No Jewish players. Uh, no one who had made. I, th- I think there were a few who made the playoffs, but no one made it out of the wild card round. The, the biggest, I would say, Jewish involvement is uh, Eagles general manager Howie Roseman who has sort of been written about a number of times now. There's, there was a New York Times article two weekends ago. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of writing about him because he's the sort of the, the connective thread, aside from the owners who, who have been uh, with the Eagles for the last while. So he put together the last Super Bowl winning team, and he put together this one, a uh, you know, team that's going to the Super Bowl. Um, that's pretty um, – that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie, also Jewish, I should say. So yes. If there's a Jewish um, rooting interest, I think it's for the Eagles. Uh, I, I'm actually going to go sideways for you, and I'm gonna, I think there's going to be one that tips it over. Okay. Quarterbacks coach and senior assistant coach of uh, the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, Matt Nagy, is not Jewish. No, but he's not. he is thought to be. You know, he's sort of a, a pointy-looking bald man. Um, from Pittsburgh, so he's got the vibe. But I would like to point out strength and conditioning coach Barry Rubin of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs is not a man you'd hear of very often. I don't – he might, as far as we can tell, be the only Jewish strength and conditioning coach for any NFL team. Um, Yeah, not not necessarily a people known for our strength and or conditioning, but it's cool (laughs) that there's at least one uh, strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, Barry Rubin. Um, he was a he's you know a in the uh, USA Strength Hall of Fame. So he uh-huh. is good at everything. Um, mm-hmm. He shares a name with Rabbi Rubin, the president of the largest Messianic Jewish organization in the world. <laughs> so you know, uh, somewhat there. But Barry Rubin, he was a punter through uh, college and uh, high school. Um, uh, I, he may have gone, he went to LSU. Um, he was the Jewish All-American team for America, which is a thing that used to exist um, okay. in the 1970s when he was at LSU. He was on it twice. Uh, and now he's a strength and conditioning coaches Hall of Famer and the strength and conditioning coach, Barry Rubin. So a proud Jew um, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so I, I will that's, say that's that, something. That, that if you want, if you're the kind of person who enjoys something to root against, I will say that the Kansas City Chiefs have a little bit of a tangential connection to 
white supremacy slash anti-Semitism, which is that. Oh, oh, uh, Lamar more than a tangential yeah, Lamar, one. <laughs> well, it's tangential because Lamar Hunt, who is the founder of the Chiefs and the American Football League, um, is the son, of course, of of great, uh, you know, oil prospect. Great, and, great in the pejorative sense. Yeah, businessman H.L. Hunt, who, like, I think after he made all his money, he's basically spent it all uh, Henry Ford style on just like white supremacist conservative literature yes. and like some of that included anti-semitism as well now he didn't H. L. start Hunt. the chiefs you know he wasn't the founder of the chiefs his son was did his son use his inherited wealth to found the Kansas so, City chiefs in the american football league absolutely so you know there's a connection this, this actually takes us sort of back to Kyrie, um <laughs> and i know that's an odd way to put it but sure. uh hl hunt was a big fan of the nation of islam um, because they also believed in segregation oh, wow. uh, and separation of the races. So he was like very close with Elijah Muhammad because like they the had horseshoe, the horseshoe theory, you know, it's the horseshoe like theory. theory. Exactly. Yeah, two ends. Um, so yeah, HL Hunt was a bad guy and they were based out of Dallas and based in Dallas. The Hunt Corporation is still in Dallas. Right. Um, but uh, it is he's not a good guy. So rooting against the Hunt family is probably a good thing to do. Do we know? Do we know if there's any white supremacy with the founder of the Eagles? Uh, I, I'm going to guess not. But also, you know, they, again, they have a Jewish owner now, so there's some. Even if there was some history of, uh, even if there was something regrettable in the history, you know, you know at what? Least there, now you can, you can, if you, if you are the kind of person who roots for an owner and a GM, which I guess I'm not really saying anyone should do. But if, if you need something, look, if you're Jewish and you want to watch a Super Bowl and you want to say, I wonder if there's any Jewish connection that I can cheer for or be interested in, that yeah. is it. Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie and uh, Barry Rubin. Barry Rubin. Conditioning coach <laughs> for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, um, I, I, sorry, go ahead. It is also worth mentioning just one, you know, the opposite of white supremacy to some degree is that uh, their field is named Lincoln Financial Field, which is named after a bank, which is named after a president who freed the slaves. Okay. Pretty again. We are getting <laughs> off. These are tangents on tangents here, but you know, again, there are no Jews in the Super Bowl, so you got to root for something. Um, I wanted to mention in, in slightly sad in sadder news. Uh, we wanted to talk about briefly the death of Lanny Poffo, uh, the wrestler who died unfortunately at the young age of sixty nine. Uh, uh, heart failure. Only sixty eight years old. Um, he is, of course, the brother of uh, of Macho Man Randy Sand Savage, aka Randy Poffo. Um, who you know was a, a more well-known wrestler, uh, but both but a wrestler Randy, and a. I, I think uh, Randy Poffo was drafted by the Reds oh, in cool. his life, um, but Lanny sort of spent his whole year, like career, whole life as a wrestler, um, and you know a Jewish wrestler, um, which you know we we're always covering and very excited about. Um, yeah, he was born. And, in, he was born in Calgary, um, so he's mm -hmm. Canadian as well. I, I I think we we look we both looked into how he was born in Canada. Their dad was a wrestler too. Mm -hmm. um, Angelo Poffo, their dad was Italian, their mom was Jewish. Um, and so, you know, he, he wrestled in the, in the eighties and nineties in WW, what was then WWF, uh, I think is the genius. He's not someone I, I think about, or I have a lot of recollection about from watching wrestling at the mm -hmm. time, but he uh, leaping Lanny Poffo as well. Yeah. He had a very long, he did have career. a long career in wrestling and without, and unfortunately, uh, passed away at a young age. And there were lots of very memorable, uh, sorry, very nice remembrances that I saw on Twitter and from other uh, people in the wrestling uh, industry remembering uh, Lanny Poffo. So uh, mm -hmm. sad news, um, but wanted to mention that as well. It's, what's interesting, you know, he uh, certainly had done a lot of damage to his heart from a lifetime of, of alcohol and drug abuse, but had spent the last couple of decades of his life writing children's books about the dangers wow. of intoxicants. Well, um, that's a, a nice silver lining, I think, to a to a, mm -hmm. a life that I think we've seen a lot of wrestlers where they, you know, they often are disproportionately have had issues with uh, substances, and um, uh, if that if that contributes to a, a, an early death, it's sad as well. Um, um, agreed. Before before we get to our interview, I wanted to talk about uh, two guys who have had real, uh, you know, successful let's, Januaries that we let's that talk we about some mention. guys. So the first one is uh, someone we've talked about a lot before, who's Denny Avdia, uh, the only Israeli player in the NBA right now. And he has been on a run in January. Mostly this has come after the Wizards uh, traded Rui Hachimura uh, to the Lakers. But in his last, you know, four games, he he had a 25-point game on January 30th. That's, his, I believe, his career high. He had a 23-point game uh, on February 4th. 
he is, you know, getting real minutes now. He's like getting 30 minutes a game uh, and he's having a really good month. So keep an eye out for him. He's had a number of double doubles. He had a, uh, a 20 rebound game on January 11th. And, you know, he's sort of coming into his own. He had four steals yesterday. He uh, is going to be getting more and more playing time uh, for a Wizards team that is not necessarily uh, lighting the world on fire, but uh, not, know, not, they're, they're not quite at all. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I feel like we've been talking about Denny of Dia for a long time. Um, I guess we've been talking for a couple of years on this podcast. A lot of people have mm-hmm. known about him um, for a while. And it's wild to think that he's still only 22. Yeah. You know, he's been in, in the uh, NBA for three years now. Um, he's starting to really come into his own. So he's still really, really young. Um, yeah. You know, he was born in 2001, which is kind of terrifying to think about. And, and the Wizards are, are currently in a play-in game spot. Like, it's, it's you know, just as likely as not that they'll end up in one of those spots. And so we could see Denny in, in the playoffs, uh, potentially. Um, the other guy that we wanted to talk about as who is really, really just setting the world on fire right now is old friend of the pod, uh, previous guest, Zach Hyman uh, of the Edmonton mm-hmm. Oilers, who is just, like, lighting it up, you know. For, Speaking for a guy of having a good 30, January. Yeah, you know, he's, he's 30 years old. I mean, he, you know, he signed that deal in Edmonton before last season. Um, you know, with an expectation that he was going to be getting more ice time than he had been in Toronto um, and had a very successful year in Edmonton, we should say, like, you know, he had 54 points last year at 27 mm-hmm. and 27, but he's already surpassed that. He's 26 goals, 34 assists through 49 games. Uh, you know, this at he's 60 going to be points a, in 49 games. That's phenomenal. He's going to be a 40 goal scorer in all likelihood. Um, mm-hmm. His January was unbelievable. He had 20 points in an abbreviated January, you know, because the all-star between the all-star break and uh and uh you know christmas new year's new year's whatever uh he only got in 12 12 games but to have 20 points in 12 games it's unbelievable it's phenomenal uh, i think he i i don't i don't think it was a snub per se but i think a lot of people felt that uh he should have been an all-star this past yep. weekend he uh, has that, um you know, if he had had if the, if the voting was done a little bit later then he probably would be but he's you know, lighting it up it's unbelievable and, and, and an edmonton team that uh, has lo- has won seven of their last eight games, and the only loss was a loss in overtime. They are going to, I think, make a you know they are probably the Canadian team with the best chance of making a, a, a run this this. Yeah, uh, they're this a team run. to watch out for. They were sort of mediocre for the first, I don't know, I guess half of the season, and they've really started to heat up. Um, you know, Zach Hyman yeah, has Western, doubled his career points Conference average very, this year very... too. Um, so it's it's you know right. it's exciting to see him lead the team be a big part of that. Sorry, go on. Yeah, the, the Western Conference is very bunched up. I mean, I, I know the story has, you know, for all of hockey has just been the dominance of Boston. Um, mm-hmm. I, there, you know, every team in the West is like within 10 points, like like the first 10 teams are, are all within 10 points in the first place. Like any of those teams are good enough to make a run. Um, yep. Edmonton with Zach Hyman, I think, has real potential. And yes. if he continues um, to play the way he, he is, then he's going to be in consideration uh I don't, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe for some, uh, for for some recognition next year. End of season hardware. Well, he's, you know, he's he's sort of a, a very, always been a very hard nosed two way player. Um, yep. So a Selkie Trophy is absolutely not, uh, not out of the question. Is that, um, is that best, best, most defensive? Is that best, best defensive forward? forward. Best um, defensive forward, right? Yep. Um, you know, the NHL doesn't have a most improved player award. Um, but if they did, he would be a really big candidate for it this year. Like we said, he's doubled his career average in points per game. Um, and even, you know, he's been playing with McDavid for two years now. And even that second year, he's been doing a huge, huge benefit. Um, he's gotten so much better over the last year. So there's, there is absolutely a great chance, um, for him to get some serious, uh, consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Selkie consideration. Um, as well, you know, they don't, have this they don't always have the the most improved player award but um what they do also have is uh what's the masterton masterton trophy which is sort of the the perseverance award so to break out at 32 years old um you know that's really cool or 31 years old i should say is is almost 32 no it's not as though it's not as though toronto didn't know what they had in him um you know as a pretty solid uh you know maybe defensive-minded forward but you know, a guy who is sort of overplaying his his size and, and maybe pedigree. But mm-hmm. uh, again, if you had said he's going to score 40 goals before he signed his uh, 
his contract offseason. I think he would have had more attention from a, from a, a few more teams or totally make more than more. what is it five million a year? Um, I think it's a little bit more than that, but I, I think he's uh, he's around eight uh, AAV. But I could be wrong yeah. about that. Um, um, here, I I'll, but anyways, well, we can look this uh, up later. Yeah, we can look at it. Whatever it is, it, it, it's it, he's well worth the money for Edmonton right now. And uh, you know, again, I think he's going to be a factor in the playoffs. I think Edmonton's gonna looks like they're gonna have a good run here. And uh, yep. if he keeps it up, you know, Zach Hyman, 40 goal watch, maybe next year, uh, Has there... maybe next year, 50 goals. Who knows? <laughs> 60. He's, he might get 60. Um, and look, it's, think... it's a big deal. He's a guy who wears 18. You know, he's put out Jewish children's books. Uh, yes. He got the Oilers to put out a, a Hebrew language Hyman jersey. Like, this is not a guy who is who is shrinking away from uh, his heritage. He is He has fully embraced it with both arms. This totally. Isn't just, this isn't just, uh, you know, oh, we found out his great grandfather is Jewish. Uh, maybe he can play for Team Israel someday. This, this is, this is one of our big Jews. You know? Oh, totally. He, you it's know, his last tweet. Thrive. He's not a big social media guy. Um, and his last tweet is about Holocaust Remembrance Day. So he definitely wants to use his platform. Um, speaking of Holocaust Remembrance Day, this is a good segue to into our main segment of the podcast, which is um, golf. Holocaust Remembrance Day, I mentioned, is that it was recently tweeted out um, uh, a mentioned by a uh, minor league golfer. I think he's on the Latin American and the Canadian tour, Josh Goldenberg, um, who's looking to have a great you know uh, future in golf. But we had two golf wins this week from Jews, um, Ben Silverman and Max Homa. Um, ben, this is, his, I think, his second win on the Corn Ferry Tour. Tour, And Max, this is his sixth on the PGA Tour. Um, yep. uh, I think which, you know, especially in his home state of California, can be a really big deal. He is still chasing Pavin. Um, Corey Pavin <laughs> had 13 wins in his career and one major. Right. However, nine of them and no majors were when he was Jewish. So until <laughs> Max uh, converts away from Judaism, he has three more tournaments to win. Um, right for him to become the most winningest Jewish golfer of all time in the male division. Amy Alcott won something right. like 40 tournaments. Um, but if he wins uh, one major. It'll be the first, it'll be the first major win by, by a male Jew as by a, a current Jew, by a current Jew, <laughs> as far as we know. Well, as far I, as I we think know. I, I, I talked about this. A little, we talked about this a little bit with Dan, but I think the uh, U S open being in California this year bodes well for him. He is really on a hot streak. Uh, didn't play this week at the Arnold Palmer. I assume, I assume he's playing in Phoenix next week. Yes, uh, I think he is. You know, it's his hometown where he lives yeah. now. Um, well, where he lives now, yeah. Typical and I think I, I saw him doing some yeah. practice rounds. Um, so keep an eye on him at the Masters. I, I think that's the first time most people probably pay attention to golf. Uh, you'll see Max Homa's name on the list. He will be there, uh, and he will be hopefully in competition. He has not had great luck, as we talked about with Dan, but I think that this is I, – I, I believe in him for this year. I think this is the year of Max Homa, and I think, uh, you know, him winning the – the uh, farmers, the biggest Jewish yes. sports event of 2023 so far. So mark that one. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I was looking to find some connection to Tory Pine, San Diego Farmers Insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the spokesperson for Farmers Insurance for a very long time has been J.K. Simmons, who I don't think anybody has con- con- confused for a Jew for a very long time. Not if um, they watched Oz. Not you know, <laughs> no. Um, that's that's a real heads no. Um, yeah. So I, I think uh, uh, that's unlikely. Um, you know, they're unlikely to find another connection for that. Maybe the CEO of that is Jewish. Who knows? Um, but it's, uh, uh, wonderful for Max. Um, and excited to get to the interview. Yeah. Let's move on to our interview with Dan Rappaport. We're joined tonight by Dan Rappaport. Uh, Dan, how are you doing? All good. Very good. How are you guys? We're great. Can you introduce your, yourself to our listeners a little bit? Tell us, uh, tell them where you're from, who you, who you work for. Who, who are you? Uh, yeah. A little bit about yourself. Who yeah. am I? That's a good question. I ask myself that question a lot while I'm staring That's at the, the most Jewish answer you could ceiling. have possibly given, yeah. by the way. Yeah, I don't know. It, de- it, de- it depends on the day. Um, my name is Dan Rappaport, as as was just mentioned. Um, I'm 28. I uh, I work for Barstool Sports, which is a, a, a very new world for me. Uh, I grew up in a very or not grew up. I, I came up professionally in a very traditional media world. I worked at I went to Northwestern, did journalism there, so very sort of like straight down the middle, down the fairway journalism. Uh, I started at Sports Illustrated after after college, 
moved on to Golf Digest. I started to really kind of dive into the golf world. And then I, I moved to Barstool in September. Uh, just a really like a new challenge for me, a new chapter. I uh, wanted to feel like I was on the right side of media for the first time in my life, you know, like going sure. going to journalism school and then working in Sports Illustrated and working in Golf Digest. Like all you hear about is layoffs and ad cuts. And so it's nice to be at a place where there's growth and where there's mm-hmm. momentum. Um, it's a rare thing. But de- yeah, it is a rare thing. It is a rare thing in this business. So you got you really got to adapt. You got to move around. Um, I'm 28 and I'm already on my third job. So that's just like kind of the nature of the beast these days in media. And and where right. did you grow up? You are Jewish. I think that's probably I am, that. I am, yeah. Yes. He already told I'm, us you went to Northwestern uh, journalism school. <laughs> I am very Jewish. Uh, both, I grew up in Los Angeles, West Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Both my parents are Jewish. Uh, grew up going to a conservative temple. We were we were we were second day Rosh Hashanah people. That's how my mom always wow. used to describe us. So she would always we had a, a little bit of superiority over over the over the friends of my over the one dayers, over the one dayers. That's right. We were we were Kol Nidre, also yep. the night before. And right. yeah, I mean we were we were we went to the high holidays a lot. And then whenever my grandpa was in town, we went even more because both my uh, my mom's side of the family, my mom grew up kosher, very, very religious. My dad's side of the family, uh, both his parents were like escaped Nazi Germany. So they were mm-hmm. very, very Jewish. Uh, Judaism was a very, very big part of my upbringing. I uh, went to a Jewish summer camp only for one summer. It didn't make it very long. Are, are you a um, camp guy then, is a question that's down the list for every guest we have. I'm not a camp guy. I went once. I was nine years old. I cried every single day mm-hmm. and I was so homesick. Um, I don't I don't do all that well with like authority and schedules. So it was really not a, a good fit for me. Um, and I'm getting married in June in a Jewish ceremony to a, to a Jewish wife and we'll have a Jewish household and Jewish children. So it's it's nice to be on here. That's got the bona fides. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah bar mitzvah and all that. So I, I check all the boxes. So our, well, our first question, first relevant question, you grew up in L.A., you know, now you're covering golf. Who was your Jewish sports idol growing up? Was there, you know, you obviously care Sean who's Jewish. Green. Sean Green. Oh, well, we're both Toronto Blue Jays fans, big, big Toronto Blue Jays fans. So Sean Green was our, our hometown hero as well. So he was kids. a Dodger when yeah. I was growing up and he hit four home runs in one game. Yeah. Yep. And I remember finding out that he was Jewish and it was like the coolest thing of all time. And I had a flip book. I remember a flip book. Of all four home runs, wow! Oh, awesome. And I don't know where, yeah, I don't remember where that flip. That flip book is probably in the bottom of a of a waste, you know, what a landfill somewhere. But it meant a lot to me at one point in time. He's ju- so I would say Sean Green. It was a big deal. At least every high holidays in Toronto, I want where like kids would argue that no, Sean Green was at my synagogue. Um, <laughs> I, I wonder if the same thing happened in L.A. I'm sure I was really young back then. I'm trying to think of like who else. I, I mean, I lived on that Wikipedia page of like Jewish athletes. There was like Gabe Kapler. I think, yeah. Oh yeah, was sure. another one. Um, uh, yeah. Some some of whom have been guests on our show previously. I believe it. <laughs> I, but we stick together. I mean, Edelman. Once yeah. I realized that Edelman was Jewish too, that was he's sort a cool of, one too. Because a lot of times he sort of came. To, he sort of came to it late to sort of really embrace it. But I think since he has probably the last five six years, he's really been a great ambassador and, and really embraced it. Totally, totally. I think there's a lot who are like half and then you you wonder like, are they actually Jewish? Do they actually consider themselves Jewish? So it's nice to see Edelman be pretty unapologetic about it. Yeah. Speaking of uh, uh, Californian Jews, uh, we wanted to have you on in part because it's we want to talk about the rise of the great Max Homa. Uh, he won the Farmers uh, Farmers Insurance Open. Is that is that the formal? That's title? right. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Last last Saturday uh, in a pretty dramatic, you know, last few holes. Uh, had a great run and he is I think 13th in the world now he is really having a come up and I, I think people people are going to be looking for him come come major season this year yeah he's he's made a jump I mean yeah. we, we've known about Max for a couple of years because of the social media stuff the Twitter stuff he was always the goofy guy right uh, and, and it's weird because that guy is almost never almost never a world-class player in, in really any sport, right? Someone who lives online. I guess Kevin Durant is probably another one who's... He's, he's, Max, he's a little Max too is, online, Kevin Durant. He's a little too online. It's almost like Galaxy Brain where Max is like... Max uses his phone like I use my phone or like you got... You know what I mean? Ma- he's Max, like very, Max very is a poster. You know, he's a re- he's a, he, no, like he's a real poster. Like he understands it. He gets it. He's, he totally uh, he, gets he's it. He's good at it. And uh, so I think, yeah, I think fans have felt this sort of like parasocial connection to him sure. for a long time. And so to watch this rise happen where he blossoms from just being Max, the funny guy on Twitter who will roast your swing, to the guy who's now won at some of the tougher venues. He's won at Quail Hollow. He's won at Riviera. He's won right. at Torrey Pines. I mean, these are these are big boy golf courses. The next 
step for Max, as you alluded to, is the majors. And I think he's played in 13 in his career. He's only made five cuts and has no top tens. Now, some of those happened when he sucked, back when he really sucked in like 16 and 17. But even even 2021 and 2022, I think 2021, he might have missed like the cut in every major. He might have made one. Yeah, he hasn't really shown up at the big tournament so far. He has not. He has not shown up at the majors, and that's that's the next step in this progression. Is is you know you win some big PJ Tour events, and then all right, I want to you know I want to see you come come the back nine of the Guster. I want to see you in the back nine at the U.S. Open. So maybe this is the year for that. Well, I think it's I think it's incredibly exciting from from his perspective that the U.S. Open this year is at the Los Angeles uh, Country Club because many of his wins have been in California. Uh, obviously, he grew up in L.A. And I, I, I don't know, maybe four or five of his PJ Tour wins now have been in so, California. So I think they're like, if it's going it to happen this deeper. year, it's going to happen. Yeah, what can you it tell us deeper, about the country club? It goes deeper about LACC. So Max won the 2013 Pac-12 championship at okay. LACC on the wow. North Course. He shot 61, which wow. is still the course record. And the coolest part is LACC up until like four years ago, five years ago, had zero juice. Wow. Like none. Really? It was one of those. Oh, yeah. it was. It is among the you know, the old timey waspy places, it really, the most of any club in California or in Los Angeles, for sure. Mm-hmm. It was not a place where Jews were welcome. That's changed a little bit in the last five years. There's been kind of a change. That's, in that's like, like horrifying. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like talking <laughs> no, about it being in the last five recent. years is like, that's, that's a little sad to just be like, Oh no, it's, it's very, maybe, maybe 10, but there was, okay. I think there was an old guard that, that was on the board. I think those people like died out and then the, the newer people are a little bit more reasonable, you know, and they would hide behind it by saying, Oh, we just don't want anyone in Hollywood or, you know, oh, yeah, that's, these rules where that's never been used as a uh, dog whistle before. Yeah, it's just so. I think for Max, for a Jew to win the U.S. Open at LA Country Club would be really delicious. So we we had, I guess it was a year ago, almost a year ago, we had the CEO of Golf Canada on our show. Um, He's a guy named Lawrence Applebaum, and he is a day school kid, camp guy, really, really Jewish guy. And sort of by coincidence, this year the Canadian Open is being held at a club that has been Jewish forever. I heard about that Um, Oakdale, Oakdale in Toronto, Um, or just yeah, in Toronto. And he said his dream is to watch Max Homa lift the Canadian Open trophy, you know, where his son had his bar mitzvah. Yeah, that's pretty damn cool. I had my bar mitzvah at Brentwood Country Club, which is oh, a, wow. a similar, like, Jewish. Is is that where you grew Jewish. up playing? That's where I grew up playing, yeah. Yeah, it's like 97% Jewish or something. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, it's a bit... But that's – I feel like the, with the Jewish clubs, it's not that we don't let in non-Jews. It's just like a self-selecting kind of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? The, the story it, of Oakdale – It's got an interesting history. Yeah. At Oakdale, there's a guy – this is a you know a, a family friend who's a member told me the story. There's a guy who's not Jewish. The only not Jewish member told the board, I'm here to find out if you'll let me in, basically. And they went, all right. And they let him in. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, I'm a member of a, of a course here in New York called Quaker Ridge, which is also Jewish, despite the name. Yeah. Despite the name, um, yeah. Despite the name Quaker Ridge. It was, it was started because uh, there was a course across the street, Wingfoot, that didn't, didn't let in any Jews. So this is where all the Jews were. And I know for a fact that the board members would, would love to have non-Jews. Yeah. They're looking <laughs> right. for them. They're like, come over here. Come hang out with us. We're here. We're fine. But it's just one of those things that like once you're labeled as the Jewish club, then the Jews seek you out. It's, but it is an interesting pattern that, that sort of happened in, in lots of different places where it's like, you know, there's a waspy club that won't let in Jews. The Jews start their own club. That club becomes popular and successful in its own right. Maybe the waspy clubs can't all survive because there isn't the same membership for them. And, you know, they'd be dying to have some some uh you know wealthy members come and, and and flock to them but they have to sort of consolidate and then the jewish clubs just become sort of a hub for judaism and don't necessarily grow beyond that not that there's anything wrong with that i mean you know i can understand the the appeal of you know a club for, a club for us uh sometimes yeah i mean the jewish there's uh, I don't, you guys both live in toronto yeah, is that right yeah, that's right yeah so i'm not sure what the toronto like jewish scene is like but la jewish scene is very strong i mean like sure. west side of la is very you know there's there's a couple of Brentwood country club hillcrest another one that's like basically all jewish yeah um and and it, there's a very very strong community in west los angeles there's there's i mean toronto's got almost half a million jews it's one of the biggest jewish that's communities a lot in the, yeah. in the world um, i think it's three hundred eighty thousand now something like that and that's and that's sort of all around like not just the city of toronto Still, that's big but we've got a couple of jewish courses there's actually you know, pay attention. I think she goes to AM now, but there's uh, the low amateur at the Canadian Open last year uh, is a Jewish girl um, from a Jewish club called Maple Downs that's here. Um, her name is Lauren Zaretsky. And, you, uh, you know, she's 18 and, and going to be a big deal. 
Um, but yeah, the Jewish, like the community here, both in and outside of golf is very, very strong. Well, we lost a good one. We lost a good one in Matt Wolf. Yes. He went the other way. He did. He, he's also, we lost, we lost yeah. a good so one. So this he is not, I, so lost him in two ways because he, he went to live golf. Um, yeah. but also he is like a born again Christian now. He's a born again Christian. That's <laughs> so what happens weird. when you go to Oklahoma state. Man. Yeah. No, that's, what, a, what a miss. That's why you got to stick to the Arizona Stanford, like a normal, uh, a normal, uh, West coast school. Do you, do you know the story of Oklahoma Nate state. Thompson? This is a, a great segue. No. He's an NHL player, also a former guest of our show, who was a born-again Jew in that he was having some troubles in his life, found Judaism, and got clean and sober and and made something of his NHL career. You yeah. don't hear about found, that very Judaism often. and a Jewish girl. Yeah. I didn't, is, is sobriety like a big thing in Judaism? I don't think it is. I think, just I, I think it was just coincidental. But it was like yeah. it was how he sort of got back on the right track. Anyways, I, I find it so bizarre that someone like goes away to university and comes home with a born-again Christian. But... Whatever, that's his choice, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so uh, another Jew won last week. Ben Silverman won on the Corn Ferry Tour, tour down in Aruba. Uh, as far as we can tell, it's the first time Jews have won on both the PGA Tour and the Corn Ferry at the same time, or whatever the Corn Ferry used to be uh, when it was the whenever it's Web.com, Nationwide, Web. Nationwide Tour Nationwide, before that. Yeah, yeah. I, but he, he'll probably be back on. He'll he'll probably get his tour card again this year. Yeah, like, yeah. If you it's win, not guaranteed, you gotta, but it's pretty close. But I mean, you got to be you got to really suck for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> to not get your card. I mean, that's right. just that's just the fact of the matter. Yeah. Um, and Ben, I mean, this is Jewish geography. I grew up playing at the same course as him, um, which okay. is not a Jewish course. Uh, it is a Chinese course where there was like five Jewish families, and his family and mine were both one of them. And everyone knew he was going to be a huge deal from long ago, but it's good to see him finally win again. Um, yeah, he's kind of oscillating. He was on tour for a little while, yeah. and he kind of dropped down. He's been, yeah. he's been between both. Um, and he's been Monday qualifying for a bunch of you know, he's played in a bunch of tournaments um, that he Monday queued for or got sponsors exemptions or stuff for that. He'll be because he won last week. He'll be in in Pebble Beach this week. Um, nice. Yeah, Very he got good. he right. got the call. Um, and, you know, I think he'll be at, you know, he'll play in the Canadian Open almost certainly, um, especially if it's at Oakdale, uh, which is it's, it's still to. so bizarre to say. It's so bizarre. Maybe that's the first time it's been held at Oakdale. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. We, so we we looked into this and I'm curious to know if you know about any of this. There's one other Jewish club it's been at, which is in Montreal. Um, oh, I now I don't remember the name of it, but it's the one of the two Jewish courses in Montreal hosted an open like in the 40s, like early, you know, okay. when when they were so Jewish, nobody probably knew that it was just like a <laughs> golf club that they it was like a new thing. Yeah, it was a yeah, new yeah. thing. Um, so this is the first one in a very long time. Um, you know, you hear a more a lot more of the stories about. She was being excluded from golf, as you mentioned, LA Country Club. Yeah, know. it's a weird one. Like I've grown up going to all these courses, and you know, the I'm, I'm gonna just gonna pull up a list right now of the top golf courses. Yeah, because um, please, but most of them, most of them do not like have, letting have a, Jews yeah, at all, or, or have members. like two or three. I mean, Pine Valley, not a not a very big Jewish. No, Cypress, yeah. no even Shinnecock, like, no Jews. Wingfoot is a, is a great example. Um, as is you know Brook, yeah. Brookline Country Club and Brookline. The neighborhood is like ninety percent Jewish, and that's the same thing as as Wingfoot, like Mamaroneck, Scarsdale. Uh, it's all filled with. My Jews. grandparents lived in Mamaroneck for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. So it's our clubs in Scarsdale. The whole area is very Jewish, but you know, it's I'm I'm hopeful that things are starting to change, and I think that they are. Like I think right. golf is not. It's not just golf. I mean, you just can't get away with that shit anymore in society. Mm -hmm. And I think golf is really, really trying to trying to grow and trying to modernize, and so. I'm hopeful. You know, you've seen like Pine Valley's letting in women now, which which was unthinkable four or five years ago. Yeah, right. Obviously, Augusta changed their policy. So I think the days of the all-male club are probably numbered, realistically. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to uh, talk to you a little bit, Dan, about uh, the upcoming Netflix documentary, Full Swing. Uh, this is sort of Netflix's... Uh, like their F1 show. I don't know if it's the same exact same producer. It's but the same producers. Same, same producer. So it, it, the F1 show that was very popular that sort of followed the drivers and their teams. Uh, this is the sort of golf version of it. I think that's that's a fair sort of summary of it. Um, to yeah, it, totally. Coming out in, in just a few weeks. Uh, so what's your involvement been uh, in the documentary? Yeah, I sat for a bunch of interviews. So, you know, I think I'll be one of those guys who's talking about, you know, basically explaining to you what you're seeing or, or bridging narratives or kind of adding some context have to you, things. Have you reached nice. out to Will Buxton of the F1 show about like yes, what it's... I have spoken to Will Buxton. About your likelihood of becoming a meme? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if our show is 150th as big as their show is or whatever it is, I mean, that there's three F1 events in the U.S. this year. 
There's right. three, there was one, and now there's three. And there's Austin, there's Vegas, and Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that show almost single handedly put that sport on the map. So, yeah, it's no secret that that's what we're after. We're trying to we're trying to get that bump. We're trying to, you know, it's interesting. It's inter- been interesting watching the show. We've I've got some screeners. I've been watching it. It's not a show for me. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. a show for for a inside golf guy. Okay. Um, who knows what's going to happen or who knows? I mean, obviously I'm still going to watch. And I think even you guys seem to know your stuff. You'll still watch. It's still great. It's still fun. But the show, the edict from Netflix was this needs to be watchable for someone who has no knowledge of golf. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the first episode, they're explaining what a par is and what a birdie is. And, okay. you know, golf is different because you actually want to have a lower score than a higher score. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I, I actually, I actually don't play it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but but it's so it's it's um we're, we're trying to get people into golf who aren't already into golf. And right. that's, you know, Buxton was a big part of that, obviously, yeah. like just this is just the viral nature of that show and how damn dramatic he is. Yeah. I, I don't think that's not that's not really my style of speaking. Um, but hopefully, you know, hopefully the, it, it catches on the same way. Yeah, that's great because, you know, I think it's tough for um, the game. I mean, it's always tough for any sport to expand, but golf has that great ability that, you know, anyone can go out and play and, you know, even ultimately play the same courses that the pros are playing, you know, maybe not every one, but some of them. And, you know, you got to, you got, you always need to find ways to expand the game. I, it, it feels like golf is having a good few years, though. Uh, golf had a great pandemic, few years. The pandemic you know? was really, yeah. really big. We're starting to see a lot of concepts that are not 18 hole golf courses that I really like. Okay. So, so like what? Top, like, well, Top Golf has been a, a runaway success. Sure. I don't know if you guys have that in Toronto, we, but they've been promising for the, like the last five years that they're going to open one here and they haven't. And it's, it's a it's, real bummer. It's, uh, I mean, you go to any one on like a Friday or science pumping. I mean, it's right. a lot mm-hmm. of fun. There's a uh, pop stroke is Tiger's thing, which is like this, a similar idea, but it's, it's putting. It's like mini mm-hmm. golf, but on more. Not real so court. crazy. Yeah. It's not real grass, it's still turf, but it's and then there's, you know, there's um there's all these par three concepts that that we're hearing about. You know, people are gonna start to open par three courses or twelve hole twelve hole courses, or you know, there's three six hole loops, so you could play six holes or twelve holes or eighteen yep. holes. Because, you know, I think everyone is willing to invest an hour or maybe even two hours in themselves and in recreation and fitness. It's when you get to the five hours and, the, you know, when it's all day that it's really hard for people. So if we can bring golf closer to people by not – by sort of removing the definition of golf as exclusively 18 holes, you know, collared shirts, pants at a country club mm-hmm. – we need to we need to dress it down a little bit, and I think we'll we'll reach a lot more. I, I'm a big hoper of uh, uh, hoper. I don't know if that's the word, but I got a lot of hope I could wear like like a heavy metal t shirt to a golf course, and it would be totally fine. That's the dream. There are certain golf courses where you can do that. It's just we need to make it needs to become more common yeah. and, and accessible. Our, Look, even, our even local the, par uh, three, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> even the the rise of golf simulators as like a as a relatively cheap thing i think has been a real game changer like there's a number that have opened near us uh and, and especially you know like you experience the same thing now like when there's a winter that stops you from playing you know four or five months of the year there's got to be something to keep you sharp uh and, and yeah i'm moving back to california <laughs> after we get married because i can't i can't do it anymore really the winters you're not a winter I, guy oh uh, i just i can't do it I, I mean what am i gonna do i play golf all day like, yeah what, you know what i mean and so how often do you play <laughs> what and, and usually like you're obviously well, on you're like do you do you spend a lot of time on the road obviously you know yeah. and, and where do you get golf in there yeah so the the, the new the new job is a little bit different because we have like we have a YouTube channel, which is a very big area of emphasis right. for us. So we do like travel series where we'll go to one of these golf resorts and play, you know, three days in a row, 36 holes a day. So like, that's a lot. Um, when I'm on the road, I always bring the sticks. That's that's sort of the first rule of, of traveling on the nice. PJ tour. Always bring the sticks. You never know when you're going to get the you, call. <laughs> you never know when you're going to get the call. And, you know, I've got, I've gotten to a place now where I, you know, I've been around a little bit. So I kind of have connects in different sure. cities. Um, you know, I got a, a guy in, if I'm in Charlotte, you know, I, I got a guy in Charlotte that I can call, or if I'm in, you know, uh, Jacksonville, I got a guy in, you know, so that's nice. And then, yeah, when I'm, when I'm here in the summers, you know, when I'm home, I, I play, uh, probably two or three times a week, you know, we play on the weekends at the club with the boys. I like, I love playing golf. And I think that's a huge part of, of my coverage is because I, I am a good player and I, I love to play competitively and I love to, I think I think there's a certain joy in that that comes through in my coverage that 
there's a, you'd be you'd be shocked at how many golf writers or golf media people like haven't played in ten years and hate really? the game. And I think it kind of actually, shows. you know what? We've, yeah. we've been at a few uh, a few tournaments now in the media room, and I, I I actually I think I've seen that firsthand. Oh, they're all so cranky. Yeah, they're all so cranky. Everything sucks, and the, the, you know, it used to be better back then. And it, it's, it's just, just waiting for the free food. <laughs> Yeah, basically, they're they're in there for the free beer. They, you know, they type out their six hundred words. So most of them don't even go yeah, on the golf. Yeah, it's all yeah, everyone's in, in that horrible cart burn. Doesn't matter what course you're at. It's a dark cart burn, yeah. and and people don't yeah. are glued to the desks. Uh, uh, except Augusta National, they have a. You should Google what their media center looks like because it looks like a NASA control room. It's unbelievable. Right. Really, we're it's yeah. unbelievable. It's literally one of the nicest buildings I've ever been in. That's awesome. I I because yeah. sorry, go on. No, they have the tournament every year, so they and and they treat press very very well, which is why everyone is so glowingly positive about. I mean, one right. of the reasons, but mm-hmm. yeah, they built this new press room that is just like it's it's really hard to describe how nice it is. <laughs> are, are you uh, are you headed back to Augusta this year? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, going back this year, I was a little nervous about that with Barstool because Barstool's had some run-ins sure. with Augusta in the past, but um, they understand you know they understand how media works. Sure. They last year they shot a video with uh, Dude Perfect. Remember yeah, it was like on the right, right. on Amen Corner, mm-hmm. right? So there's obviously someone in the room in the in the media committee who who knows you know the trends and stuff. And so I think they're I was uh, I was not impressed because I expected it from them, but I was I was pleased that they that's that great they played ball. It, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I, I guess the PGA will be the first uh, test of this, but sort of like the bringing back of the two worlds uh, live live in PGA uh, tours. Back oh, the know. Masters is first. It, I, but I thought the PJ. Yeah, I thought the no. PGA the Masters was in April. The PJ is in May. Oh, I thought PJ is right, in May, May, not in first. Yeah. So the Masters gonna be the yeah, first real no, test. It's, yeah. It's gonna be tense. I think it's gonna be tense. I mean, it was last week with yeah. Rory yeah, and Reed. It was super slinging going yeah. on. We'll see if anyone gets. Subpoenaed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, you know, there's a there's a lot of these uh, old timer guys like a Fred Couples who they just they just hate mm-hmm. they hate what it stands for. And a lot of these guys are old Southern boys. And this is America, and you know I earned my way on this tour, and you want to go play for the Saudis over there? That's how they say Saudis, and uh, and then there's going to be Phil and Bubba and Sergio, who are just the richest guys in the room now, yeah, sure. other than Tiger. DJ, but um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's wild, man. It's been a wild. 24 months really in our sport i I think that's if there's something that's going to draw people into full swing who are just casual observers just the focus on that and the all the drama that's been associated with that is gonna is gonna really hook people in just to see how that's going and and because you can you can you know follow up on it in real time like you can see what happened and what's happening now uh with with it's not it's not going anywhere i mean there's going to be more guys who go over there's going to be you know more lawsuits we're we're just we're really in the middle of this of this generational struggle it's just hard to imagine i guess we'll see this year because it's like the first full like year with like all the roster it's just hard to imagine watching a live tournament tournament event like maybe maybe i will like maybe it'll happen but like i i don't know i i I don't know what's going to be drawing people in there's something about it that just feels so contrived and i mean i I guess it it is like it is contrived they're paying these people a lot of money it's just sort of like they're paying these people a lot of money and they're not making it yeah it's it's all prize money's up front well, that, well, it's also it's just they they have no revenue, yeah. right? So, so it's it's a show. I mean, it's basically a show. They basically pay these guys to come perform, right? And I guess what I've always loved about watching golf is the I don't know reality of it. Like there is I don't know something that that feels different. People striving to win, and 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 there's some being something at stake. Or when you see journeymen who you know are playing for their tour cards and things like that, that it. I don't know. This somehow the stakes seem just higher. Even when you see guys, see, when you see a guy make the cut who's ranked 150th in the world, and it's like you know this is making a huge difference. In his it life. means something. Yeah, and yeah. This, this is it lives, to take it, it back. Right. Take it back to Max Homa for uh, a second. He's been pushing an idea that I'm all for, which is that they should televise the cut line. Just like show the guys who are on the cut line as much as you're showing the guys leading, because on Friday afternoon that's way more exciting. Um, and you get yeah, to see them uh, miss, yeah. right? Like we only see the guys on TV who are playing so well, not the right. guys who are playing that's, like you or I. That's a really good. That's a really good point. I, people, you know, these guys are are incredible, and I got to go just in a few. Yeah, yeah of course. Time, but these these guys are incredible, right? But people think that they're a little bit better than they mm-hmm. are because of that reason that you just mentioned. You only see the guys who are playing the best. 
there's a lot of guys who just don't have it, right? Who are shooting 71 and you're only seeing the six irons that go to five feet. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not seeing the six iron that's pushed right into the bunker. And so whenever I would show people that like the average proximity to the hole from 160 yards in the middle of the fairway is 30 mm-hmm. feet. You'd think that it's, that's, that's the average. Right. And people are, stu- people are stunned by that because they're like, what do you, what do you mean? Like these guys hit it to, you know, from a hundred yards, I think it's like 22 feet or something. Wow. People think that, oh, when you're a hundred yards away, these guys should be hitting it within five feet. It's just not, yeah, maybe the best guy was playing the best, but, um, not, not to yeah, mention on, on, I think on that, you know, courses that have been tailor made to, uh, to fuck with everybody and, and make it as difficult as possible. I mean, that is true. That we, is true. Like if they went to your local muni, they wouldn't be giving the course so much respect. They'd be taking more dead mm-hmm. aim, but you're right. Like I do think that's a, that's a future of golf, especially with the legalization of gambling. Like the cut line is so vital, yeah. mm-hmm. um, with, with DFS stuff, if guys miss the cut, you basically have Good no point. chance. So you know, I, I think having these like simulcasts is definitely the future. I would also say like, it's exciting to see, and I'm not, I'm just picking on him cause I happened to see it live at a tournament once, but like Cam Smith whiff on a chip. Like he does it. Yeah. Everybody does it. And, and you don't see that yeah. on TV very often because he, you know, uh, it was not going to happen in a week where he's leading. Right. Yeah. No, they, there's bad shots out there. You'd be, <laughs> you'd be surprised. I, yeah, I played in a, I played in an LPGA event like two weeks ago in, in a, like a, it was like a pro-am mm-hmm. thing, kind of the women's version of the at and mm-hmm. And the second hole I was playing with Celine Boutier, who's number 12 in the world. And she fatted one directly into the water. I mean, it was like, I was like, whoa, it happens. Just like us. It happens. Now she shot even par, you know, <laughs> but she she fatted a nine iron straight into the piss. I'm I'm yeah. glad <laughs> you like... brought up the LPGA because we can say this. Now that you know, now that uh Max won this week, Ben Silverman won this week, we need Dana Finkelstein to to join the crowd. She wait, Dana Finkelstein is Jewish? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh there's a guy on the Latin American tour named Josh Goldenberg who I was iffy on until he posted something for Holocaust Remembrance Day, which is usually, and he's from LA too. So it's usually a pretty good sign. That is usually a pretty good um, sign. So we need well, the two of them to, to catch up and not saying they don't pull their weight because they're doing great, but we need them to also win. Elizabeth Sokol totally. as well. Uh, uh, she's uh, an up and comer a bit. Um, so we've been following her a lot as well. Yeah. Well, Dan, we should let you go. Thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Um, if you want to come, if you come to the Canadian uh, Canadian Open, we'll see you at Oakdale. We'll... I, you know, you know why I'm not coming to the Canadian. You're passport? not vaccinated. <laughs> I, I am vaccinated. Uh, I'm getting married on June oh, 10th, wow. which is that. Exactly. Ah, yeah, that's so we'll miss yeah. you. So, but I will not be at the Canadian Open. That's for sure. At Oakdale, unfortunately, it's that's so. I know, funny. I know. We should have just gotten married there. We yeah, you could have just done it. They, right they've done it. They know. I'm pretty sure they can make that kitchen kosher, just like with a flip <laughs> of a switch. Definitely. And it's a 27 Definitely. hole course, so you know, even if they're playing 18 for the yeah, championship, we just, we'll put the tent on the other uh, the other yeah. nine. <laughs> that's awesome. Right. Take care, Dan. Thanks so much for joining us. See you guys. Bye bye. A big thanks uh, and a big muzzle tov to Dan Rappaport on his upcoming wedding. Um, I hope they have a wonderful time uh, getting married and not being at the Canadian Open. Um, we will miss <laughs> him as Jews in Toronto at Oakdale. I think he would have enjoyed just sort of the general vibe and the nachis we're all going to have watching Max Homa or Ben Silverman uh, carry that trophy at Oakdale. Or David um, Lipsky. So, Who knows? Or, be, or David Lipsky. That's very not, true. But, uh, um, uh, I am, I'm really K. excited. I'm really excited for the Oakdale tournament. Like I, you know, we we've gotten accreditation the last few years, so we should be able to go as press, um, hopefully without any issue, and you know, just sort of see the club and its, I don't know, splendor. Like see yeah. it showing showing off They're is really always nice to see. I don't I don't have any real like I don't have any connection to it. I, I you know I know it's I've been there a number of times. I've never played there. Um, I've been there as a kid, obviously for bar mitzvahs and things like that. Uh, but I still think I have a some sense of pride of it being the Jewish you know, the Jewish club and it hosting I think this so. tournament. I think, I you think know, I, I, as, some pride in that. as we talked with Dan, it's a lot more likely that a professional golf event will be held at a course that bans Jews, that is restricted to Jews than one that is like for them. Right. Uh, well, there's not many. It's true. Yeah. Um, not, not many, many clubs, 
that you know have been so and and you know it's the week before interestingly it's the week before the u.s open at right. los angeles country club yeah so which is you know, it's always going... it's always a bit of a bummer there's always some people who seem to uh miss it just because like it's too complicated to travel to canada or you know, or they, they they do the tune-up the week before or whatever it is. But I just mean to say they go from a Jewish club to a restricted one, like back-to-back. Right. I, I had um, no idea about that. Very interesting to hear. Yeah, very, very interesting to hear, especially how recently it was so. Um, right. But, or, uh, or I guess there's, there's the, you know, there is a tradition, or not a tradition, but like there is a sense of some clubs being like, you know, okay, yeah, we let a Jew in in 1975 or whatever, but like just that, the one. You, you, know, you just can bring one. guests that are Jews. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, we're not restricted, you know, quote unquote, like we got, you know, people's people off our back, like, uh, you know, ADL isn't knocking down our doors, but in actuality, like no Jew has signed up as a member there in the last 30 years. As, as something Dan said, um, you know, it's a no Hollywood policy. A lot of them have no Hollywood policies, whether, you know, they call it that or not. The Um, idea of running a a golf course in or a country club in Los Angeles and being like, yeah, you know, what's the biggest industry in this city? Uh, (laughs) What's the city known for? Uh, Yeah, we won't we won't take those guys. But it's not because they're Jews. It's not because they're Jews. No, no, no. It's It's for another reason. We don't like the idea of them doing Hollywood type business. I I don't think they would. I I think it would just be another reason. It's for another reason. And I think (laughs) you know, uh, uh, it's it's going to be very interesting to see if it's ever discussed. Um, mm-hmm. you know, on the broadcasts, you know, Jim Nance will be at both events, presumably a thousand you know, percent, it, a thousand percent, it will not be, but I'm I mean, if you. Oakdale will be, you know, either Oakdale oh, or the LACC, will talk about it. Um, that is a good question. Uh, Brookline, I, I, we'll yeah. I think the, the exclusionary history of Brookline at the U S open was talked about last year, right. um, in that it was restricted for black people and Jewish people for a very long time. Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll see. And I think it, you're right. It's an interesting juxtaposition between the Jewish club and the non-Jewish club, uh, especially in such a Jewish the, city as LA. The anti-Jewish club. Um, you know, as as Larry Funkhauser said, if Arafat can uh, Marty, break Marty bread Funkhauser. with Rubin, Marty Funkhauser said, I'm sorry, if Arafat can break bread with Rubin, I can watch golf at that anti-Semitic shithole. <laughs> um, sure, something like that. Good a couple of uh, quick uh, roundup items before we go. Uh, oh, sure. This week was WNBA free agency. Um, right. Very exciting stuff. Um, as we know, uh, you know, uh, both uh, WNBA, I think, former champion and uh, head of the Black Jewish Entertainment Alliance, Alicia Clark, um, signed with the reigning champion Las Vegas Aces. Um, they're sort of building a super team in L.A. Right. to compete and uh, Vegas. I'm sorry to compete against uh, the super team that they're building in New York. Um of which our friend David Goss is still, I believe, the PA announcer. Right. But uh, no, no Sue Bird this year. But we still have Alicia to cheer on for Jewish WNBA fans. Definitely um, cheer on which those. Is pretty exciting. Vegas Aces. Yes, um, and in uh, in uh, motorsports, uh, F one the F one season starts in I think three weeks. And um, we'll have another episode too, where we should have three possible Jewish uh, F one uh, participants this year. Um, Robert Schwartzman, who is a uh, Russian and Jewish, but now unaffiliated and Jewish. I think he's now racing as Israel um, okay. under the Israeli flag. His parents are Israeli and uh, Russian, um, and he is Jewish. He was raised Jewish. Uh, he'll be he's the Ferrari backup driver, um, in addition to Lance Stroll being the Aston Martin uh, number one driver. Um, cool. So possibility of two or three Jews on the grid. Roy Nissany, wow. the Israeli, is still a backup driver for Williams. Um, so the possibilities are, and we could possible we have a a three out of twenty Jews on that grid. That's pretty um, significant. That's pretty wild. I don't know how absolutely to be race car drivers, but we have done it. We've yeah. <laughs> we've got we we have done it. Um, one other thing interesting. Um, I find this very interesting. Um, Robert Schwartzman, uh, the uh, race car driver. Uh, not the same Robert Schwartzman, who's Jason Schwartzman's father and Talia Short, uh, Talia Shire's husband. Um, uh, okay. Different Robert Schwartzman. So it would be uh, cool if they were the same guy, but it would be I very cool if they were that the same Robert guy. Schwartzman is uh, um, in his seventies or eighties or no longer with us. I also wonder if we have an opposite of um, of the Mike Jacobs All Stars. Uh, Robert Schwartzman, the race car driver, is a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Russian. Um, who like very much does not look like a, what you would expect a Jewish person to look like if you would expect. Right. Um, but you know, he's like, like born... the actress, uh, Diana Agron, 
uh, for yes. Lee, who always gets cast as a non-Jew, like explicitly as a non-Jew, despite being uh, quite Jewish. I think she got to play a Jew for like the first time, like last year. Absolutely. I think, I think Zoe Dutch is a very similar one. Uh-huh. Um, you know, definitely proudly Jewish, but I don't think has ever played at, you know, a, a Jewish character at all. Um, but you know, Robert Schwartzman, he's actually born in Israel and raised in St. Petersburg. I, I misspoke. Um, but, uh, uh, he is he used to race under the Russian flag is now racing under the Israeli flag. Um, Sounds good. That's uh, exciting well, let's leave stuff. it there. Let's leave it there for now. Uh, we'll be back in a few weeks. I assume you and I will have consumed all of Full Swing uh, when it <laughs> drops on February fifteenth. Um, we, if uh, it, it, Dan, if you're listening to this episode, we will have lots of thoughts um, on your interview questions and responses, and we'll share them all with you unsolicited. As always, we're brought to you by the Canadian Jewish News. Uh, you can find our podcast and all Canadian Jewish News content on the, our website, thecjn.ca. Uh, you can please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts uh, and you can follow us on, on Twitter at Menschwormers, uh, still posting Jewish news, mixing it up with uh, you know whoever we can to get, get all the latest news about Jewish sports so if you're still on Twitter, and we still are, uh, follow us at Menschwormers Thanks for listening <laughs>